I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, or what I'm doing here, or what this place is about, but I am determined to enjoy it. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. Let me tell you the days of high adventure. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. Ready to go, Doc? Oh, yes, yes, my dear fellow. I'll just check the gyroscopes. Hello, and welcome back to the Appendix N Book Club. This week, we're discussing Philip Jose Farmer's Behind the Walls of Terra. And with us today, we have Paul Janus Finnegan. I'm sorry, I mean, Hoy. Uh, hi, Hoy. Wow, that was very tricksy of you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us today is the founder of Sword Queen Games and the author of many works, including Balak Bayan, Returning Home, Cozy Town, The Journey of the Whispering Tree, and Take My Revolution, amongst many others. So <laughs> joining us today is Jamila Arnajani. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So um, we'll go ahead and start with our cliche introductory questions. So, Jamie, how did you get into gaming? Yeah. Um, so it's a two-pronged story. Um, first, it started, I was like around 14. Um, there was a friend who was like, let's play D&D. And I hadn't heard of D&D up to that point. Um, I think it was third edition or 3.5. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, it was a bad time. It was a very bad time. I just recall being a halfling, killing a gelatinous cube by myself, which took forever. Just like with all my <laughs> arrows because the rest of the party was too busy trying to create a candle out of a troll skull. Or it was it was bad. Um, so I had such a bad experience and I said, I'm never going to do anything like that again. And so fast forward to almost 10 years later, I was like 24, almost, I think around that time. And I found out my then boyfriend, now partner, my boyfriend was like, uh, he was going to start playing a Star Wars game, a Star Wars RPG game, Saga Edition. And I was just like, Star Wars? And you're not, and I'm not, I'm inviting myself, right? So I forced myself into that game and it was such a great time when I realized how magical RPGs could be, like I would stay up at night thinking about how great each game was and how each dice roll felt. It was so good. I was playing a Twilic soldier um, <laughs> and the, and the GM, I wouldn't recommend this nowadays, but the GM used me as a secret weapon against the other players because they were all Jedi. And he was <laughs> like, I'm going to give you a Kartosis blade, which can disrupt any lightsaber. And I kept rolling twenties <laughs> with it. It was such a magical magical introduction the exact opposite of my first time uh and so i was so hooked and then after that i got so around that time dnd fourth edition was out and these are like uh for you know we have a video up going you can see all my dnd fourth edition books there there my partner's <laughs> pointing it out <laughs> that's just some of it <laughs> that's just like half of the collection and then i got all of the 3.5 stuff for the Eberron lore stuff. Yes, yeah, so I really, I went full in. Um, and I just haven't looked back and I'm obsessed with RPGs. Mm -hmm. Now you had actually mentioned, I think I saw a tweet of yours saying that you sort of had to untrain yourself from D&D. &D. Yeah. And what, was, what, was, what was that process? Now you're known oh, for gosh. very much sort of, sort of uh, independent uh, PBTA based, mm -hmm. um, very, uh, I, I don't know your entire orb, so I want to say, I don't know what other systems you like to draw on 
as mm. well. But I do know that your, your Balik Bayan is sort of like a second generation PBTA. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, gosh, how did that how did that happen? Because like for the longest time, because there are other games other than D&D, but every time I kept trying, because D&D has such a singular system, right? It's it's very combat focused and the combat is very, even between systems, there's like a logic going on, right? And so even Saga Edition, Star Wars, it was created by Wizards of the Coast. Oh, so uh, well, I'm not sure if they were called Wizards of the Coast at the time, but it was the same system. Like when you play Saga Edition, it's between 3.5 and 4th Edition D&D. That's what the game was like. Um, and so when I tried different games, it was so hard. It was... I tried Mouse Guard and it was just flat. I tried all these different games. It kept falling flat. Um, and so it wasn't, I kept trying for years. I kept giving up and going back to D&D. And I was just like, I just can't play any other game. I don't, I can't grok the system. Um, and it was, and I was, you know, living in the Philippines. Um, there were very few other games being played. It was mostly just like World of Darkness stuff. Um, and, and, um, I'm going to say I love urban fantasy and I love World of Darkness, but our local community, it was a little like edgelordy, right? It was a little hard to get into. Like, you don't say. <laughs> it, yeah, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. But like, especially being femme perceived, it is it is much harder to navigate these spaces um, because there's you have to prove yourself a lot. Like, like, this is just a side note, but I remember playing with another girl for the first time. Uh, it was her first time and she's playing a rogue and she couldn't, remember to do the backstab mechanic, which is so essential as a rogue. And I remember being so upset thinking, oh my gosh, we are surrounded by all these guys. We have to, we have to do our best. We caught, cause like, of course they started explaining to her how to do it. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, and I realized how it's just ingrained in me, right? Like this need to perform. And it was worse in, in certain circles uh, outside of D&D. So it wasn't until... A few years ago, I got into masks, uh, which is powered by the apocalypse. Um, and I think it was easy because like, I've always loved superhero comics. Um, I'm really into Marvel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still like Batman though. Batman's cool. Um, but, and uh, also like, I think as I got into it, I just forced myself to learn how to play it because it was superheroes. I think if it wasn't, there's like a common theme now that I think about it. Star Wars got me into it. And then, superheroes anyway so uh but then when i learned pbta and when i learned masks it was so hard for me to go back to D afterwards because yeah. of the the i i fell in love with the idea of the soft moves and the hard moves and i fell in love especially with the gradation of success and mm. how much the players were asked to collaborate with the gm because in D, there's so much pressure on the gm like you know, rules as written, right? Like, uh, or mm-hmm. how we perceive it. The GM carries so much pressure to have the entire world in their head uh, right. compared to in PBTA where it's more of an open, it's an open thing. It's an open collaborative thing. So I fell in love with that. All right. So you're making an interesting point there because sometimes I think some of the sort of story games and others are perceived as being sort of anti-GM. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think maybe a better thing to say is that they also perceive that the GM is also a player. Yeah. Right? exactly yeah. right right like the the delineation is not as strong right yeah yeah i feel like powered by the apocalypse really did kind of uh change the trajectory 
of gaming overall. You know, even looking at, for example, like the names that we give the dungeon master or the game master or the judge or whatever, you know, like looking at the White Wolf games, which a lot of people do kind of look at as like, you know, in the 90s, those felt like story games. Right. Um, but like com- compared to uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games, they're absolutely not. And when you even look at what the what the game masters called them, that they're called the storyteller. So it's like that's the person who's telling <laughs> the story, and exactly. the players are like the they're, they're the audience, but they're it's like an interactive audience, but they're they're still experiencing the story. But in the Powered by the Apocalypse. Um, but when Powered by the Pockets came along, it really kind of showed us that, like, actually, we're all telling a story together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people who are still really primarily into trad gaming are still adopting a lot of stuff that has come from the kind of Powered by the Apocalypse view of gaming. And I think that a lot of people are kind of working on this idea of we're all collaborating on the story together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Like, and it's funny, though, because, like, once I got into OSR and stuff. And I started trying to understand what that community was focused on uh, through Sword Dream, basically, uh, when it started becoming a thing on Twitter. It was so funny because everyone kept explaining to me what OSR was like. And I was like, but that sounds like PPTA. Like, uh, <laughs> like I was like, that sounds like everything they said, it's slotted in. There's even like, um, there's even a reference out there that like slots in perfectly how PPTA and OSR um, work well together. I, it's, I'm forgetting right now what it's called, but uh, but oh, all my OSR Prin- friends didn't believe Prin- it. Yeah, Principia Apocrypha. I think that's that exactly be... it. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So at first, my friends are like, "No, they're totally different." And then, oh, and it's so funny because when you look at OSR and PPTA, they look so different, but the core elements they really um, are. are. And it's same. interesting because the two sides of them really feel like they're definitely not the yeah. other side, yeah. and it's yeah. like. I mean, we're, we won't name names, but there is obviously one very specific <laughs> bad player, bad actor oh, who is yeah. responsible mm-hmm. for making that false dichotomy. Right. I think it is for a sure. spectrum and mm-hmm. you might have preference yeah. leaning towards one end or preference to leaning towards the other end. Mm-hmm. And the, the ironic thing is this bad actor was actually using a lot of the techniques and <laughs> and uh from the PBTA end of exactly. the spectrum, exactly, exactly, right? yeah. and yeah, I think yeah. People, people probably could probably read between the lines, but we won't we won't give them any more time than they need. Mm-hmm. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> so moving this from gaming to the literature side, have you had you heard of the Appendix N before we asked you to be on the show? Uh, I've heard about it. I saw it. Uh, people talking about it on Twitter. So I was so excited when you all reached out to me. Uh, I've, I've, I've also listened to a few episodes because I love this. I love all these pulpy sci-fi books. Like I was super <laughs> into it growing up so um but yeah so i'm really excited to be here today so what kind of uh fantasy and sci-fi background do you have in terms of reading oh yeah like when i was young i was really into fantasy like i read every single david eddings book which is ridiculous like each series is like five books or something um but on the pulpy side i used to like just go to these like book sales um so there's a we have a chain of used books we just call them book sale and you can just pick up the second or third or fifth book in a series and you would never see the rest of it and i would never know how the story <laughs> began or end so i used to and you and we'd be able to pick up books for like 20 pesos like 40 pesos like really dirt cheap right and then i would just like read through all of it and then i would just um so there's so many um but yeah, and there's just a, just something really as as I get older, it gets stranger and stranger to see the perspective from back then, right? Like yeah. you get 
Like you, right. you start to like recognize how much time has really shifted. Uh, but I also, I also really love Philip K. Dick because like he had such weird range. Like he had such great books and he had such crappy books. Like <laughs> the same. Because he was really like a workhorse, right? Writing out these books. Um, so he's also one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, it's wild to think that, you know, there's a 50-year difference between when this book was written and where we are today. Right, and like the, half a century. And, yeah, and then 50 years before that, it's like the difference between now and when this book was written is the difference between 1970 and 1920. And those are also two completely different worlds. Right, right. Yeah. 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 When you live through it, you're like, oh, that's, oh, I don't remember, you know, and then wait, wait. And when they went like put in stark words, black and white words on the page, you're like, oh, wait, like we'll talk about all the weird 70s. <laughs> 70s yeah, So speaking of a book that was written 50 years ago, which edition of the book are you working with? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just downloaded this off of Amazon. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Like, let me, what does so it say? You've here? got like an ebook? Yes, yes, I got the ebook because, like, I was trying to find the physical book. Um, but you know, nowadays it's kind of hard to go outside. Uh, right. So. Very fair. <laughs> yeah, I believe I have the same one. So that's the World of Tears, Volume Two, which has um, uh, also Private Cosmos, I think, on it. So yeah. no, behind the wall. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So. So that's also I, what you're working with, Hoy. That is what I'm working with today, although I do have the copy that you hold in your hand, although I haven't looked at it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so. I've got this 1977 oh, nice. paperback with the Boris Vallejo cover. We have our very hunky Kikaha on the cover in his very tight jeans holding his uh, beamer. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I loved how in the first part they described him as thick-thighed. And I was like, that is something we do not talk about nowadays, even though I think it's important to, like, you know, a really good himbo has to have both sides covered. But, you know. Exactly, yeah. All right, well, you should have you seen the uh, copy that uh, our uh, book club person had who had the kick a from the back backside, and he had he had uh, some junk in his trunk. So. <laughs> Definitely, yes. Kickaha. There's no thigh gap on Kickaha. <laughs> it's just a lot of thigh. <laughs> just a lot Thighs of thigh. Thighs for miles. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to go ahead and take a look at our Hygaxian word of the day. Simulacrum. Simulacrum. And simulacrum is found on page 103 of the edition that I have. Ooh. The space matter outside the orbit of Pluto is a simulacrum, a tiny simulacrum, relatively tiny, that is. And then later on in the same page, it says, but why did the Lords feel it necessary to set up this simulacrum of an infinite, ever-expanding universe with its trillions of heavenly bodies? Uh, and a simulacrum is an image or representation of someone or something. So that is our Hygaxian word of the day. <laughs> yeah, and actually, like, I love that word. Uh, I first came across it, I think, like, in college when we were talking about Roland Barthes and, like, um, semiotics and stuff like that. Um, but, like, I, what I love about the, the concept of a simulacrum is that it is a copy of something that later on becomes so far removed from the original thing, right? And that's definitely something that keeps coming up uh, in the series, I think, like from what I was able to pick up because I just jumped into this, like the fourth book in the series. Um, <laughs> but from what they were saying, I was like, oh yeah. Cause like there's this neat form of divergence, right. Between mm -hmm. 
universes and stuff. So that's really cool. No, I think your book sale experience must have prepared you for that. Just coming oh, yeah. To yeah. <laughs> I'm just ready. I'm always ready to just jump in and just be ready. <laughs> yeah. Well, and thanks for being such a good sport because I find that most of the uh, books in series that are part of the Appendix N are usually pretty standalone. Like they're part of a larger series, but they really are pretty standalone. But this one really picks up right where the last one left off. And you also don't really have a satisfactory ending either because it just ends with them hopping through another portal. Yeah, and so it ends through mid-sentence even. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I was like, there's another part of that sentence that we didn't get at the end of this book. <laughs> well, that's when you know like, you call off the gaming session while you're still on a high point instead of letting it peter out. And then oh, yeah, just, for yeah. sure. Actually, when I was reading, I kept thinking, this GM's a jerk. Like over and over again <laughs> while I was reading the book, this GM will not let the player have their 20 and like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so jammy overall what did you think of philip jose farmers behind the walls of terra my gosh you know i was so confused um because roger zelazny who i also really love who wrote lord of light um mm-hmm. I, I love his books and he was like yeah i really love uh philip jose farmer he's one of my favorite authors like that came up when i was looking up the stuff on the book and but i was reading it and i was like wow but this I don't know what it is. I guess I expected if an author likes someone else, they have a similar style and they do not, right? They like, do not, yeah. Like no, Roger no. Zelazny is so poetic. I still remember certain things. But Beyond the Walls of Terror, it is so straightforward. It is almost like an outline for a book. That's what I felt like I was reading. Like he he goes so logically. Sometimes he will skip through entire like hours in just like two sentences. I'm like, wait, 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 where are we again? What? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> We lost the girl again. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the language is like so straightforward. And then they, they just throw out all of these like proper nouns, like a beller and, and a Lord and, you know, but then they would explain it later. Um, But I I realized thinking nowadays I'm so spoiled because even if you pick up a book in the middle of a series nowadays, right. The author will still make it a point to be like, Maybe it's been a while since you read the last book, or maybe this will be the first time you read it. So they do a lot to explain the world. Uh, mm-hmm. And and this this one was not interested. It was just like, come along for the pew pew and the and the punching and, and all the You'll interrogation what techniques. Is, or you won't. Whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're just here to beat shit up. That's what this book felt like. <laughs> so. And run away from the cops. That happened a lot. Right, running right. away from the cops. A lot of running from the cops. Yeah. <laughs> running from the cops. But uh, he wasn't afraid to like throw down with the cops too. So that was kind of cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was really interesting. I was like, and, and it made sense because like, how is he going to explain all of this? Right. right. Who is going to believe him? <laughs> 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 well, and then also the cops are just like firing into crowds, like <laughs> he's like running away yeah. from them. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And I, I remember first reading it and being so confused, like, what is a beamer? Because like he wouldn't even really explain what the weapons are or what they could do. Like later he early in the book he was like saying, Oh, he said it's a different like to right. stun or to yeah. and I or didn't realize it's a murder. <laughs> and it wasn't until like yeah. halfway through the book that he actually described, Oh, you have to give out like a verbal command to do it. And this whole time I was imagining a Star Trek situation where he was just like fiddling with it. Um, So it was so strange how much he didn't describe, right? It It makes a certain kind of sense though, because like this is Kikaha, 
like if he's just doing this, it's like he doesn't sit sitting there explaining to himself. And then I press this button so that I can mm-hmm. fire this gun, right? It's mm-hmm. like, all right, I fire it. I shot the guy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, f- I felt like I was listening to my really enthusiastic nephew tell me a story. And then I did this, <laughs> and then I did that, and then I kissed the girl, and then she cried. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening. That's what it felt like. <laughs> what did you think of Lucifer's louts? Oh, wow. Um, the motorcycle I- gang. With a really interesting fashion sense. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was so funny. Like, when the swastika showed up, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. We're being very clear about who this group is and what mm-hmm. they're like. Um, I thought they were so hilarious. I thought it was... I also thought it was so weird that Kikaha kept getting people saying, hey, if you want to lend us your girl for a while. <laughs> like, it happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's both groovy. The motor- I dig it. <laughs> yeah, the motorcycle gang wanted to know if he if he would lend her his chick for an hour or so, yeah. and then later on when he gets into the van with the gnome king and his bad eggs, uh, <laughs> Lou Baum wants to buy his chick for a thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, and it's just it is so hilarious. Um, but I was also weirded out how often Kikaha and, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting how to say her name because I want to say Anana. Is it Anana? Yeah, it is. Anana, right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the way Kikaha and Anana kept bringing up like, oh yeah, obviously these people were not genetically picked for who would be the most beautiful. Like they were just allowed <laughs> to breed as they like. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're talking about how <laughs> ugly they are because they don't have selective breeding in this world. And I'm like, and oh. And they're allowed yeah. to look older than 30. Oh, my gosh. I'm like 37, <laughs> by the way. So, like, I was reading going like, hmm, I'm getting right. past that point. The kick thinks it's okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the sheer disgust when he sees those old people and he's like, ugh, I haven't seen old people in, like, 20, <laughs> 24 years. Gross. Right, right. And then when he saw the who could be the bad guy, oh, but it copied be the bad guy because he looks older older than 30 and a lord will never <laughs> let themselves look that old i was like what is going on <laughs> and then there was even the flip side of that too where he's at the he's at the greyhound station and he sees the little girl and in their world they have kids so rarely that like children yeah. are like really really like um super um, rare totally so he walks up to this little girl and starts like petting her head and the mom like starts yelling at the little girl and she's like get away from that man and it's so funny that like 50 years ago if a strange man is touching your daughter, yeah. you would yell at your little girl. <laughs> and not <laughs> the strange man touching your daughter. <laughs> things things have certainly changed for the better in that department. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We used to be a lot meaner to children, I think. The fact that he had to bring it up was it was interesting. So um, I also liked how every so often Kika would be like, I could save the world, but humanity will probably kill the world themselves. Like, just, it came up a couple of times. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely just like um, he's not amoral. He's just kind of, um, yeah, but he might be like he might be a libertarian though. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> right? It's true. It's true. And I felt like he was just so overly focused. Um, and and like, I, I, and also what is strange to me was so he's he's like someone who's wily, someone who is very much in the moment uh very very intelligent even though his plans kept going to shit over and over again this poor guy (laughs) just doing his best um but what is interesting to me was later they were like oh but the reason you're this smart and you're this paranoid is because you're not human right 
There's even a point where Nana's like, I must be in love with you because you're not human. Uh, and they have a special name for it. I had to, I had to, hi- I have so many highlights. Um, nice. uh, but like, the baby, the baby, like, yeah, yeah. Like that's their like derogatory. You're just like, you're just a regular human, not a, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like their, ver- their version of muggle. <laughs> oh, there. And I was like, but what is it based on? Like, is it just supposed to be like a random word or is it based on like, like a concept? He said, if, I don't know if that specific word, he did actually have an interest in all these different languages, but not at the level of like a Tolkien where he would actually like mm. get under the, get under the hood. Right, but he did right. have like, in one of the other uh, previous books, there was a whole um, knightly culture, but it was actually a bunch of um, descended from uh, medieval Jews. So they all spoke Yid- a, a, a derivation of Yiddish, even though they mm. were, you know, like, had like the Christian <laughs> paraphernalia. Um, so I think he would throw in these little phrases. He said, he has a little bit of that sort of, um, magpie instinct that a lot of dms have i think farmer does so he's like oh i like this oh, thing i yeah. like this thing i like this thing right, i'm gonna pull right. it all into this thing together um, yeah yeah that makes sense to me right i kind of hoping that kikaha is not in fact a lord because i like the idea of him just being this trickster character who you know, sticks it to the man right yeah, as, yeah as that's what i like too elite, you know? yeah i'm hoping but like there's a lot of evidence right there's the yeah. mystery of his childhood and right. you know this mysterious benefactor but then um, but I don't know. It could be a lord's plan to make him think he was a lord. Like I got paranoid. I got as paranoid as <laughs> by the end of this book. <laughs> so, <laughs> he also didn't seem to be sufficiently freaked out that there was a chance that his lover was also his mother. Yeah, I, I would have been more surprised. Right? I would have been more like, I have well, been at least kissing this woman. I think I've been doing a lot more, just not writing about it in this book. Right, well, I thought, <laughs> you know, hey, she's ten thousand years older than me. You know, at that point, you know what's. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I also found it funny that people kept talking in exclamation points a lot, like um, in short, like it felt like a comic book, right? They would just say like "ho" or like "hold on" or like <laughs> I could see the bubble coming out it was really funny <laughs> and a lot of it is very kind of pulpy and comic booky like when they first get here and then um he realizes that he needs to teach anana english so like they, so like you know she spends a day learning english is, <laughs> how long does it take her like <laughs> And when she has to go over her pronunciation of burgers and milkshakes when to make the order, right? <laughs> <laughs> so either she's a super genius or we are just such, you know, like piddling degenerates that it's really easy for her to learn English. <laughs> right. They established also the fiction that the languages from this earth were all made up. Just like, oh, yeah, we're just going to teach these people this completely made up language. And I wonder if that's why she picked it up so easily. Oh, I know this. This is like this is like pig Latin. <laughs> totally. I also I thought it was interesting how you know this book was written in 1970 and it's like right in like kind of the peak of like hippie culture and like you know and it's the kind of thing where like I feel like if this book were written word for word the way it is but were written today in 2020 people would be like oh that is such a hokey view of 1970 that's not what 1970 was like at all uh, so it's so funny to see something like this written in 1970 because uh, right. it's so over the top and so silly uh, right. but also like just full of these like you know like pop culture references to like the Rolling Stones. Right. And to like Tom uh, Tom Wolf and Asimov, and even like really like just goofy dumb things like when he first comes into the world and he's like, "What is that car that looks just like, like a, a beetle?" beetle. <laughs> I remember thinking, <laughs> like, I would not think it looked like a beetle if I first no, saw it. <laughs> no, 
we all know they're called beetles, but they don't actually look like a beetle. Come on. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if, you know, we, uh, we've talked about this before, Jeff, that that, that Kikaha is actually, uh, I don't know if you picked up on this, uh, Jamie, but P- Kikaha is literally the same age as Philip Jose Farmer. And his, right. his, initials, his initials are actually PJF to Paul Janus Finnegan. Oh, so, I, so you know what? I think that tickled the back of my head now right. that I think about it. So, <laughs> so it is literally this middle-aged guy's take on what's happening in the 1970, right? Yeah. <laughs> so he's just as much of an alien. Uh, you know, this whole thing is just as much, you know, it's like, what are your crazy kids doing on my lawn? <laughs> Actually, I'm also like, I, I was so confused about how Kikaha is like older but he stopped aging when he went into the other world. Is that what happened? Yeah, Cause right, like he still right. looks like he's 25. Right. Or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and there's also a thing in the world of tears where even if, even if you're like, cause the, the main character in the first book, he's like an old dude when he walks through the portal and everybody's like fat, like who's this weird old dude? Like we've never, we've never seen an old dude just walking around. <laughs> right. Like the more he hangs out, he just gets younger and younger and like oh, sexier. and more. Muscular. So there's something about the world also. Yeah. wow that is so interesting so like you walk through and you suddenly come off of like who's that painter um trisetta yeah 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 so i was like so i'm like thinking you go into this world into this new world and like it's a frisetta portal right you just become more and more like you must now look like a frisetta painting you're just pumping the sexy into the air that's how how you got the thighs (laughs) yeah yeah i feel like if i felt every time kikaha ran i would hear his thighs like (laughs) (laughs) and he was running a lot and he was naked a lot there was like a whole sequence where he was just doing stuff while naked right like i'm gonna figure out how to escape here i'm gonna go through the portal like and i'm naked and it's no big deal and i was like wow i'm just imagining (laughs) what this looks like (laughs) yeah if you got it flaunt it (laughs) So, but are we basically saying that this is a self-insert? Like this whole book is just the author going like, this is just Yeah, I'm not sure exactly 100% like, or just some aspect. And I haven't read enough of his other books to know if he always self-inserts or in this particular Mm -hmm. case, it's sort of like a self-insert or it's almost a little wink, wink. Like, look at how Mm. ridiculous it is for for a middle-aged man yeah. to project project myself <laughs> into this fantasy. So I'm, totally. I'm, I'm totally unclear on that. You know, that's mm-hmm. something that's I would like, definitely... You know, we read a book called um, The Shadow People that was written in 1969 by a woman named Margaret St. Clair. And it's also very much like it's Berkeley hippie culture and this... But it, it felt a lot more realistic. And I think that's mm. because Margaret St. Clair, I think, really kind of lived it, even though she was of a comparable age to Philip Jose Farmer. That was, she was like very much... That was like kind of a part of her like lived experience where I definitely think Philip Jose Farmer is like this dude in his early 50s who's like imagining <laughs> what it would be like if he was young right. and hot and right. now suddenly in a van with a bunch of hippie musicians. Right. You know, he was living in Hollywood at the time. It's like probably looking out his window. It's like, God damn those kids. But like, ooh, God damn those kids. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it was just like this, hip, this hippie lifestyle um, of like just meeting people like the runaway girl, the 17 yeah. year old who was just like, I just met you. So I'm not super comfortable having sex with you. I think I was like, yeah, I get it. I was like, dude, you were like, how old? <laughs> she was like, she is 17. <laughs> yeah and she is super high all the time so (laughs) (laughs) yeah there were a lot of scenes where like i could see the film grain while i'm reading it like it just felt very like 
like early 70s cinema it's like we're finally getting out of the out of the movie studio and we're on like location. yeah exactly we're now filming on location yeah and complete with the weird close-ups right like right. yeah like the rack zooms mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and the music stings all right it's like that bleached sunlight from those like early 70s crime films you know sunshine oh, Noir, yeah. you know like a uh, long goodbye or something like that so like, everything's like a little overexposed yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so let's we can go ahead and start chatting about this more from the gaming side so i would love to explore your comment more about how this it felt like this book was written by just a really mean gm oh yeah oh my gosh for sure. <laughs> so so I, I in general i definitely have rpg sickness like i'll watch something and i'll go like oh this is when the character rolled a 20 or this is when the gm <laughs> did this i will always break it down i think it helped me it helps me as a designer now to do that <laughs> but but it's been something i've done for a long time and i just felt like so for the first like how many fights i kept thinking wow this player is rolling really well but they are not asking the gm questions and how to get to this orc and how to get to the beller they're just (laughs) the gm just keeps going like well now there are police and now there's a there's a motorbike gang it's like yeah but 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 you said i have to find this beller (laughs) he found the beller by accident you know what I mean? Right. Like he had a plan, right? Like the player was like, I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to go to this guy. I'm going to spend this much money. I'm going to get a fake Beller. I'm going to walk through. And the GM is like, and then you see the Beller just there. <laughs> right. Like I let you go through your whole plan and I'm just going to put the Beller right there. So you don't go through with your plan. Right. I was like, what is wrong with this GM? <laughs> One thing I did like about the GM though, is there was a moment that I felt like was a moment of brilliant game mastering. Ooh. And I'll tell you what mine, what that moment okay, is. Okay. So here's the moment where Kikaha is in this like portal dimension and he's trying to find a way out. And when I'm when I'm when I'm in this moment, I'm like, okay, the GM has a plan as to how this kid how this character is supposed to get out of here. But then the player is suddenly like, okay, so here's what I want to do. I'm gonna stand on top of the food tray because if the food comes out of a portal, it must go right. back, right? And in that moment, I don't think that was what it, my experience of <laughs> that was like that was not what the GM planned, but the GM was like, you know what? Yeah. That works. <laughs> I I knew that moment was gonna come the first time he got captured and he was like, Oh, the, the food just disappeared, it goes through a portal, and I'm like, is he gonna like escape through <laughs> that? And then so several pages pass, it doesn't happen. So I feel like maybe the player thought about it. And maybe thought about it out loud, and the GM's like, "Nah." But then when they brought it up again, like, "All right, all right, fine. You can I mean, as long. Let's see you do a balance check because right. <laughs> it's a totally. small I mean, space." Yeah. I mean, your, your 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 Dick GM thing is very well. I mean, all the lords are Dick GMs, right? Because they all have. They oh all just gosh. play the game with each other, but they always leave an exit. It's not exactly the obvious one, or there's like a double layered <laughs> trap, so you think you've solved the thing, but then you blow yourself up. But if you were like. Like they have that one trap, that bl- the portal that blows up, and then if anyone steps through, they'll fall to their death. But if they jump through, they'll be able to catch onto that bar. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And it's like a series of checks, like okay, you got it, and then now you have to do this, and then right. Right. oh my gosh! But I also love that section because I thought it was so cool. One of my favorite parts of the book was when uh, he was going from between gate to gate to gate, right, and then yeah. going through all these different rooms, and it felt like each time he answered, the GM was like, ah, I'm going to roll on this table. Uh, so yeah. you see, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's one description, it really, I, I had to quote it, because it sounds, oh, I'm looking at the Anana quotes, and she's so hilarious. Um, but, 
and all these, I, 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 I did a lot. I have like a hundred, I have almost 200 quotes here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. And then so this part where the, he walks into the room and Kikaha went into the next room that was small and furnished with everything a man would need except human companionship. In the middle of the floor lay a skeleton. There was no evidence of the manner of death. The skeleton was that of a large male. The teeth were in perfect condition. It lay on its back with both bony arms outstretched. And it feels like three tables were put together here. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? 3D, 3D12, right? One, um, right. Three columns, D12 yeah. columns. It has What's to be D12 room? because it's underutilized. It has, yeah. to be, it has to be the D12. Right. What is the prop? What What are we looking at? It's a skeleton. And it felt like that again with the, with the grotto next, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good. <laughs> and I also love that moment where with, with the portals where, you know, he finally kills the beller. And then at first he's like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have food for a while. I might have to cannibalize this thing. Let me just like, even though I'm tired, I'm going to throw its 200 pound body over my shoulder and just like walk around for hours <laughs> with it. Right. Uh, yeah. But then he encounters this portal and he's like, you know what? Maybe I'll just throw the corpse in the portal and then there's a trap that'll set the trap off. Yeah. And it totally worked. There was like some oil fire trap. Right, and right. it's like, hey, carry a corpse with you. A hundred yeah. one. Hundred one uses for an enemy corpse. It's just very. It's very D and D. I mean, I, I, I have been a GM with players who did that with the corpse. So, yeah. you know, absolutely, it, it's happened to me four times that I can remember. I like I, that you I, have a concrete number for the number. Of oh yeah, and it was the same player three times. So I'm throwing him under the bus. Hi, Phil. If you're listening, I love you. That's amazing. That's now, crazy. was there anything that was uh, that you found in this story that you're like, oh, this could be fun. I might want to steal this. Oh, yeah. Um, I think definitely the portal jumping through different worlds. I just love that idea. Like, because like uh, I played Trophy Gold and I really like it. And I was like, this would be kind of cool for a Trophy Gold um, setting. So Trophy Gold is like an OSR inspired. It's like it's like a blend of OSR, some sprinklings of, of PPTA or whatever, but it's really mostly um, an interpretation of OSR that I love. Um, and and it has a lot of tables that you can use. I was like thinking, it'd be kind of cool to have like a portal jumping adventure. Because in Trophy Gold, each time the players enter like a set or an area, you tell them straight out, like, this is the goal. Even if your characters don't know, you as players know, this is what you're supposed to do. Right. Okay. And so I, I could see it where like you're supposed to survive this asshole lord like and get to the other side. Um, I thought that would be really cool because I love the moment when he came out on the planet that was like Mars and he saw that weird balloon slash kite slash pet, you know, dinosaur <laughs> creature. Yeah. I was like, I love it though. But I'd I'd love something like that. That sounds really cool, like just this jumping through worlds. But yeah, how about you guys though? Actually, I want to build on something that you just mentioned. Do you like to sort of build for set pieces, like in your games, or or do you kind of have it sort of a little bit more um, sort of open world type situation when you Ooh. when you're doing? Yeah. So, like my style as a GM, um, and this is, I think, this is also why I ended up being more comfortable in PPTA because my style as a GM is to have a poker phase and make stuff up. Like I just pretend, <laughs> like. <laughs> Um, and, and it came from like trying to plan and then not being able to, because you can't really predict what your players are going to do. Like they're always going to come up. 
like I remember one time I gave my players a giant fortress. Like, and when I say giant, I mean a literal, it was a giant. It was a living being that was decaying and dying and they had to go through the body. And I thought they're going to go through the mouth or they're going to go through, you know where I'm going, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then the same player, Phil said, but if we go through the other side, there'll be less guards, right? Because it smells bad. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) but i would so i just poker face and i said that's right there are less guards you know and i I like to reward the players and you know (laughs) pretend oh yeah i had been thinking that the whole time um yeah i just need to have a poker face so definitely i am more of an impromptu gm because i try to build off of the players backgrounds right I, Mm -hmm. i try to build off of the characters and what they want and where they came from. And I try to bring that into the story over and over again, as much as possible to really get them super invested. What's great is the players will always give you the best ideas. And if you keep that poker face, they will also give you the credit for it too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You just go like, that's right. Oh my God. That was what you designed such a cool thing. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So and I'm gonna ask you a trick question that I, I asked Ooh. Toy earlier. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> so um before we record our episodes, we also have um um like a, a pre-show that we do with our patrons. And I asked Hoy and our patron Adam um what what Dungeons and Dragons character class Anana is. And I'm looking at a specific sentence that's backing up my statement here. And Hoy guessed cleric and he was wrong. (laughs) And Adam guessed monk and he was wrong. So I would love to know what you think your, what what your guess is. No, I don't think she's a cleric though. Cause she's so, well, I mean, I guess a cleric can threaten to like chop off someone's legs with a beamer, but you know, Um, (laughs) she was so vindictive. Uh, I'm going through it in my head. And normally like, this would be a subjective question, but because I have, there's one sentence I'm looking at that I feel like is making this yeah, an objective that's, question. Right, that's, that's some textual information here. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, it's, very, it's very AD and D first edition textual. It text, is, it is. Yeah. And, and, it's, okay. and it's very in the weeds. So like, Ooh. by all means, don't actually feel like you need to get this Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Um, I think I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Rogue. Okay, so you're wrong too. (laughs) And the reason I say that is on page 197 of my book, it says she was proficient in the use of all weapons. Oh, fighter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is, I never got to see it because she hardly. (laughs) Yes, she has all the weapon proficiencies. I would argue <laughs> that she's a rogue that multiclassed <laughs> and got the, and got the weapon proficiency because her perception was so good, right? Like when she would sit there and say, "Like right. these people are coming here, they're coming at you." It's like right. this this perception is right. good roles, you know. Right. <laughs> she really... should be saying, "I told you so" a lot more. But you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. now, how would you? Um... Uh, though I was mentioning also in the book club, I really like the final set piece of them just like when they're all in oh, like, the yeah. grass and the forest and it's very mm. tense. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think it works with traditional D&D because you have such a large hit point pool oh, that yeah. unless you house rule it or you have a crazy crit system, you can't create that just level caught. of tension. Right. Yeah, yeah. And would you be able to pull that off in a PBTA game? Would you need something oh, that's a little yeah. bit more crunchy and mechanical like... Um, RuneQuest or, or GURPS. Mm-hmm, or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like 
like PPT is really good for stuff like that, like masks, like going back to that example, you don't even have HP or hitboxes. Um, because the idea in masks is that superheroes, it's not about like Spider-Man going up about, you know, going up against Superman, like, you know, um, I cross the streams on purpose for anyone who's listening, but (laughs) 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 before anyone loses their mind, Um, but but like, it's not really about hit points. It's more like, can Spidey get through to the emotions of the person they're talking to or what makes Spider-Man lose in a fight is not him running of HP. It's him running out of hope, right? It's him running out of, you know? And so like in masks, what you have is you have these conditions of, angry afraid and stuff like that and i feel this could work because the lords are really emotional um they're really they're super arrogant so uh i think it could work especially for a character like kikaha because he's so smart right he's always trying to like outsmart and use the lord's pride against them or use their paranoia against them and i feel like that cannot be measured in hp Right, because right, that's right. purely you're usually just going after their stress or their physical aspect, and the way you get to a lord is not that they've been around for thousands of years for a reason, right? So, right, right. Um, so but you, definitely, you, you can get them at their own game. Right, if you get them thinking that you're nothing, they'll pop out and get arrogant or something. Like that's it. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a very and and maintaining whatever your your cool stat would be in Kikaha's mm-hmm. case, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. right, right, and he's got yeah. plenty of that. So. Yeah, yeah, I think he definitely does. Like, I feel like if it were a system where it was based on like emotions, I think Kika has the ability to uncheck if an emotion gets checked because he's always like, like after Anana got kidnapped, he was super focused. He was like, I have to get out of here. I have to blah blah blah. He didn't break down crying until the next day, right? right. I, I, in fact, when I was reading it, I was like, so did you love her or not? Because like. <laughs> She just got taken with a burger in her hand and thrown into the back of the van. <laughs> and you were pretty calm. <laughs> but then when he cried later, I was like, I was like thinking, oh, he has a PPTA move where if he's supposed to check that final condition, he doesn't until the next scene. Like, that's what I was thinking. Like, oh. he's able to hold on a little longer and hold on to his emotions a bit more. So, <laughs> you know, uh, especially because of the book, they were like, Kikaha cried as well, but he stopped crying first. I was like, all right, Kikaha, I get it. (laughs) You're super macho. (laughs) You're the manliest. You win. (laughs) Now, one thing that I also thought was interesting was when um, Kikaha and Anana are chatting and Kikaha is surprised to find out that not all of the lords are white. And He and and then Anna was like, yeah, actually, a third are Negroid and a third are Mongolian to use terrestrial terms. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, these are very outdated and awkward words to be using. Right, but right. basically, we're, we're we're learning that a third of them are black and a third of them are Asian. Now, my thing is, we're not seeing any of these black or Asian lords. Are they just too cool to be dealing with this white nonsense? Or like, oh my gosh, <laughs> can we say that's what's happening? <laughs> they're like, we're gonna let the they're gonna let the Caucasoids, that's what they call them, right? Just deal with their bullshit. Well, the rest of us are gonna focus on building better universes. <laughs> exactly. They're doing like also, positive community building with their with their yeah. powers. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved how Kikaha was like. Because she was like, well, how many have you seen? And he's like, six. Like, there are, like, how many lords, right? And you thought they're all white from six people? (laughs) Well, he was from, uh, was it Indiana, Iowa, wherever. (laughs) That's also true. (laughs) 
but it would be interesting to see like i mean i guess if anyone was going to fanfic any of that stuff which i don't think he ever did it would be really interesting to do all this those other lords and you know yeah yeah because there's so much potential right like what are they doing like why are they doing it like i feel i would actually like to because you know things are this is a pulp novel so things are pretty black and white right uh as they need to be so we can focus on the action but i i was like wow i'd love to have a series on the nuance of these lords because um and how they differ among themselves and how they're fighting against each other i think it'd be really cool because there's a lot of like i'm sure this could be like a world of darkness supplement right <laughs> like you know i'm sure there's like a lot of infighting and they can't be direct about it it's all super uh and they have different clans and different ideals i think it'd be a really great game honestly right. like you know um, and a player could just say like, oh, I'm my, this is my universe. This is what I created. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think it was the second book, Jeff, right? Where a couple of them had sort of like transhuman forms that they had adopted, like um, Ooh, in Gates of Creation. Oh. It's like that. But, but, you know, that were sort of like more their wardrobe. They, they still had that sort of ideal oh, I remember that. Remember mm-hmm. those the one who had the flippers and the... Oh, that's oh. right. That's right. I forgot all about that. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, but, but cool, that was like cool. a temporary form. But then he was stuck in it because he couldn't get back to his like body wardrobe or whatever. And then they were all looking at it like, "Aha! You got flippers and you look like a frog." You know? <laughs> 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 so, Jamie, the other the, the kind of base world in the world of tears that we've experienced is kind of a fantasy world, but okay. it's like a fantasy world with like like super super science technology thrown in there as well so mm-hmm. i'm curious aesthetically when it comes to like dungeons and dragons style uh gaming how do you feel about a dungeons and dragons game with a bunch of super science technology thrown in where you might step through a portal into 1970s hollywood is that fun or is that kind of lame oh i think it's super fun i think it'd be like, I honestly felt like, here I go again. I was like, the GM's not taking advantage of the fact that they're in a city, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> we're, all, we're only worried about the police and the hippies, but there's so much more that could be happening. Um, well, it I is would, L.A. It's yeah, the only thing that's missing is the movie industry. So, <laughs> Yeah, right? And they kept bringing up the traffic. I was like, but where is the, where's the, the Hollywood part? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but definitely, I, I think it'd be funny because what I like to do as a GM is um is i like to describe things um especially because i thought kikaha should have spent more time thinking in his 1940s mindset right and not i think that would have been so funny right this fish out of water stuff but like as a gm i like to describe things like really plainly like as i'm stealing from lord of light like roger zelazny like really plainly what they see. And then they realize later, oh, they were talking about a cassette tape, right? I just said, oh, it's this thing. There are two holes in it and it's hollow when you tap it. And there's this like um, dark brown, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're just describing a tape, but you're not using the word tape, right? Yeah, and right, uh, yeah. I think I think that'd be super funny, especially if you had a table because um, in Mutant Year Zero, they have tables where they just describe these objects as the mutants would understand them because they had never seen the previous world, right? right. right to help the GM uh, figure out how to do that. I think that would be super funny. Yeah, um, and, and, like, uh, and it adds a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it could be like, 
and Anna saying, is this an artifact? And it's like, no, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like beamers are strange and everything, but I would like to see like, but what is the human equivalent that shocks Kikaha, right? Because he hasn't been here totally. in a long they, time. They hear an alarm clock going off and they think it's a bomb that's about to detonate or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, there, there could have been all these interesting. So I think like as a GM, you could definitely, it would be fun also because then the players would know what's going on, but the character is not so much and that's fun to play out. Right. It is, it I think is. that's probably one thing that would be interesting to do. I mean, with people who are willing to go with is the culture shock element. I mean, most fantasy games have a sort of um, implied monoculture. It might be like, oh, here's a sort of more democratic liberal area, but it's still sort of this Ren Faire medievalism. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. And, um, but having that genuine culture shock, I mean, we experience it all the time here in our world, right? I mean, literally... <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, every mm-hmm. time I go back to, you know, Vietnam or something like that, it takes me a couple, like a week or two, like, okay, oh yeah, all right, yeah, <laughs> all right, you know, or something like that. Well, um, let's say, for example, you uh, let somebody take over the GMing for your Yunsuan campaign, yeah. and the first thing they do is they have everybody step through a portal to 1970s Hollywood. Are you going to be clutching your pearls, or are you, like, <laughs> totally down for this? Uh, I'd be totally down for it because I, w- I know it would piss off one of my players. <laughs> <laughs> We're all yeah, falling no. out and throwing our players under the bus today. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, uh, what would I be upset about if they f with my Yoon Suin game? Uh, not necessarily 70s Hollywood because I'm really into early 70s uh, <laughs> film noir and sunshine noir. So I don't think that would mess with me. And it also because you, as, exactly like you mentioned, Jamie, uh, Yoon Suin is actually a very urban game too. So mm-hmm. Los Angeles... You mm-hmm. and Sue, and you can still do the urban game thing. So you yeah. still, have it. yeah. So that would, and that would of you have the slugs. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so that wouldn't throw me off too much. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I would still want to get back to you and Sue, but it would be interesting for have the person from you and Sue going to Los Angeles and think it was weird and exotic, rather than yeah. the other way around. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, and, and I think it's cool as long as it's a break, right? Not a yeah. not if like you you spend all this time making these characters thinking of the setting and now we're in 70s Hollywood and we're not leaving. Like I think right. that's, oh, yeah. that's right. too much of a but if you get to have that episode, that would be fun for the players. Like um I remember I ran a masks game and uh they rolled like they were they were going through dimensions and I was like okay so roll to see if you get back um <laughs> Sorry, he he was in that game. My partner's in that game. That's why he's laughing. <laughs> so they rolled, and right in PPTA, as long as you get a six and lower, it means it's a miss and things went somewhat awry or not an outright failure necessarily. But they rolled snake eyes, right? And I just, <laughs> I know it doesn't mean anything mechanically, but in my D and D train brain, of I'm course. like, this is a critical fail. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? Let's end the session here because he's dying anyway let's end the <laughs> session here because i have to think of how bad this goes right and I'll, I'll see you all next week and so what they did was the next week they went into the future into the far future where most of their friends and mentors were dead and things were bad like days of future past stuff right cool um, <laughs> right but i needed a week to think about it <laughs> like, yeah, like, it awesome. has to be really bad Right. That I actually really heard cool. a very good technique that someone mentioned, which is that when it's time to put a pin in the game, especially if it's in a combat, always end it just before the DMs move. Right? Yeah, exactly. And that way the players don't have a week to think about what they're going to do. They have to respond <laughs> with whatever you give back at the beginning of the game. <laughs> 
<laughs> I really like that. Oh yeah. man, that's right. making me wish I had done my very last session of my old school essentials game slightly different. Because right. uh, it, it ended with them closing the doors while they're being shot at by arrows by the town's guard. Now right. I'm wishing it had ended with them uh, with all the arrows being drawn. Yeah, and... <laughs> exactly. Right. I made the mistake yeah. of telling you. Telling Andy Action, our DM, our Tuesday night DM about that technique. <laughs> now he's using it every week. <laughs> it's, it's so much fun, though. Like knowing when to do a cliffhanger, which is yeah. what you can say this happened in the Kagawa book, but right. uh, is, is super essential as a DM. Like I remember uh, I was running Changeling. Uh, I have a friend who put together like a PBTA hack of Changeling the Lost. Uh, it's, just, it's a fan hack. And then so I was running it. And then so one of the players had come across. Uh, something really disturbing so they called an npc on the phone and they were like we're here where you sent us you know what's going on and then uh the the npc just mysteriously answered you found exactly what i was hoping you would find and i say and they open their mouth and you can tell they're about to say something else but that's where we're going to end our session today so like (laughs) mid mid gm move (laughs) that is so good that is so good Well, Jamie, it has been a blast having you on. Is there anything related to be, uh, behind the walls of terror you really wanted to chat about that we didn't get a chance to get to? Any um, of those great Anna quotes you wanted to discuss? Oh, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Actually, what I really liked was that trap in Anna. That was so bizarre. Yeah. Right? The, there was oh, a... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, kiss. Yeah, I was like... What I found, and then, okay, but uh, now I think about it, the GM is nice. Because, like, right, so the fake Anana came crying, and he was still being paranoid. He was still checking, but he still failed that role. Oh, no, poor player. And then, like, so he's, he's hugging her, and then he just starts, well, I love the description of the death. I'm really into body horror. It comes up in my games a lot. And so I just love the description of how he took care of it. And then later, he, in the next room, he finds a solve that puts down the... All the burning. acid and the yeah. burn. Yeah, this is the team being nice because he wrote all those fails to perceive this. <laughs> so I'll give it to the GM. That's fine. They're not, they're not heartless completely. Love it. Now, Jenny, do you have any projects you're working on right now or anything coming out that people should be on the lookout for? Oh, yeah. Um, so usually I'm taking a bit of a break, but usually I come up with two new games every month. Uh, if you want to keep up, you can check me out on my Itch.io page. It's temporalhiccup.itch.io. Uh, I also have a Patreon uh, at Sword Queen Games. If you sign up for the Patreon, you get the entire backlog. Uh, I don't I don't like block out stuff from previous months. So it's a good way to, to catch up with all the games. Uh, and currently what I'm working on that I'm super excited about is Apocalypse Keys. It is a game that is inspired by Hellboy and nice. BPRD. Um, right. And so it's about monsters fighting monsters pushing back the apocalypse. You know, I don't know what could inspire that with current events. Right. Right. <laughs> the long, the long defeat. Like, yeah. are we going to win? No, we're not going to win. Are we going to yeah. win? No, we're not going to win. <laughs> right. And so it's really a game about how it's your, despite being monsters, it's your bonds with each other that will see you through uh, you as go. you investigate and figure out what's going on. So it's, it's a lot of fun. That's great. Now is looking, uh, if, if somebody wants to connect with you online, is uh, are those the best ways to do that? Or are there, are there other ways? Oh yeah, there's definitely Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter almost all the time at Temporal Hiccup. I post a lot of Sailor Moon GIFs uh, and I talk about <laughs> games a lot. That's so awesome. yeah, yes, yeah, so I'd love to see you there. Perfect. And um, Hoy, how can folks find us? 
All right. If you uh, like us, please rate us and review us on iTunes or your patch catcher of choice. If you want to drop us a note, we're at appendix book at appendix and book club at gmail.com or on Facebook. Uh, I'm sorry, on Twitter at appendix underscore N. We're also on Facebook and we, we, and Jeff, how about our Patreon? You can head on over to patreon.com slash appendix and book club and show us your support there. Our patrons have the opportunity to chat with us before the sh- before we record the episode with our guests. And today, Adam Stiers joined us, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, we would like to send a shout out to a few of our patrons, including uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Adrian Romero. Uh, and uh, we've also got Stanley Reduski, Frank Maybe, Brian Rumble, Dimo Saklas, uh, Christopher Murray and Andrew Sternick, who's also red. Uh, thank you all for your support. Uh, you guys are awesome. Um, and with that, our next two episodes will be uh, episode 74 is going to be on Andrew J. Offit's Swords Against Darkness. And episode 75 will be on Roger Zelazny's Sign of the Unicorn. Jamie, thank Love you that. so much for being on the show. Jenny. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so jealous about this to talk about Rogers the last me. Well, you know, come join the come join the book club. You know, our oh, yeah. uh, book club. We always have to have people our, our previous guests on. So awesome. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> All right. See you in the stacks. Read on. The library is closed.